So we'll start with uh, we'll start with the Galatians. Move to the Acts passage. So Galatians four four through seven, just a few verses. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you, know, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Did you catch the word that got repeated there? Son, son, son of God, you are sons. Uh, more on that in a little bit. Uh, now to Acts chapter 7, 54 through the end of that chapter. This is the, the story, uh, the end of the story of the stoning of Stephen. So it's, it, the Stephen is, is who we regard as the first Christian martyr. Uh, so uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, tells us that Stephen was doing uh, many miraculous signs and wonders uh, in the name and in service to Jesus. Uh, and there were some people who were like, whoa, what is happening here? They were sort of afraid of him, threatened by him, so they accused him of blasphemy, brought him before the high religious court, before the Sanhedrin. He then spent some time defending himself, using the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, from Abraham to Moses to Joshua, talking about how, oh my goodness, the Israelite, the Israelite people uh, have often uh, resisted the movement and spirit of God and done some things that haven't been good. And he said, and you've done it again with Jesus. And in fact, you stiff-necked people, you murdered him, right? And then this is how the Sanhedrin and the people there respond. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would later become Paul, who wrote the words that we just heard a few moments ago. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, of all things, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. We'll go that far. Great story, Aaron. Thanks for that. Pick me up. So I learned something new uh, recently. Uh, at some point in the history of the church, uh, actually, I, no one really knows when, uh, but at some point in the history of the church, actually nobody really knows who, but at some point in the history of the church, a decision was made. Uh, and it's a decision that uh, I never would have dreamed of making, uh, and I don't know if I would have made this decision if it were left up to me. You're all thinking, what was the decision? Uh, here was the decision. Uh, the day after Christmas, December 26, uh, the church 
honors the first Christian martyr, Stephen, with the feast of St. Stephen. The day after Christmas, the church honors the first Christian martyr, Stephen, with the feast of St. Stephen. In fact, in some European countries, it's a state holiday. You don't even have to go to work. It's like, woohoo, Christmas, feast of St. Stephen. Uh, we don't have to go to work. Anybody else find that weird? Anybody else find that a little odd, a little ironic, a little strange? I mean, think about it. The first day after a birth that marks a new beginning for the whole human race, we remember a murder. We remember a murder. The first day after we celebrate God coming into the world as a human being, a birth that will change the whole human race forever. The day after that, we remember a murder. A murder that reveals just how little the human heart has actually changed. Right? So on Christmas Day, we listen to the angels sing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That amazing song, right? It opens up all kinds of new possibilities for the human race. Peace on earth, think of it. And then the next day, we decide to watch a follower of Jesus named Stephen, murdered by an angry mob. What? Birth of Jesus, murder of Stephen, by an angry mob. It's a mob that doesn't understand his attitude, doesn't understand his words, misreads his heart. Stephen was so different that he was perceived as a threat, so they launched missiles of hatred at him until he died. The day after Christmas, that's what we, that's what we decide to, to remember? Does anybody find that strange? Anybody? It seems strange to me. And when I learned of it, it seemed strange until I actually started thinking about it a little bit more, until I actually listened to, to Stephen speak, listened to the words that he says. So think about the story. When confronted with an angry mob out for his own blood, Stephen didn't see the angry faces of the mob. Instead, what does he see? He even says it. Luke says, this is what he saw. And then he has Stephen say, look, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. So as the stones crashed against his body, as his own bones were breaking, he used his very last words to speak these words. In verse 60, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So as the stones crashed against his body, in his last moments of horror, the peace on earth song that the angels sang, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, right, became a reality for him. Because Jesus had been born in him. Think about it. Luke's very intentional about this. His dying words were essentially the same dying words that Jesus uttered on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God, do not hold this sin against them. So what's Luke saying to us? Stephen had become just like Jesus. Stephen had been transformed, had been made into something new, completely different, just like Jesus. Mm, transformation. So now we turn to the words from Paul, because the words from Paul are all about that word, 
transformation. It's not in there, but they're all about transformation. So before we get into those words, here's what's going on in Galatia. There are some leaders there. Uh, we call them Judaizers now. But there are some leaders within the church in Galatia uh, who were teaching that in order to become a follower of Jesus, uh, you had to, in order to be in the community, in order to be welcome in, outsiders first had to become Jews. In other words, they first had to obey the law of Moses and recognize the law of Moses. And by now, there were 613 rules and regulations that you had to follow in order to be, uh, in order to be a Jew, right? So these Galatians didn't realize that Jesus coming into the world had completely changed the rules. So Jesus came not to extend these laws to cover more people, no, Jesus came to redeem those under the law and to expand the family of God, not by having people recognize and follow these laws, but expand the family of God through radical love and acceptance of outsiders. The game had now changed, right? So this would have been a total shock to Jewish ears. This would have been a complete transformation of Jewish thought and Jewish theology, you become a, fa- a part of the family of God, not by obeying a bunch of laws, not by obeying a bunch of rules and regulations. Look at what Paul says in verse seven. You are no longer a slave, having to gain acceptance by God through the law, but you are no longer a slave. You are now a child, a son. And since you are a child, God has made you also an heir. So now the game has changed. Jesus changed the game. Totally change the game. You become part of the family of God because of the radical love of God that accepts and folds and embraces even the worst of us. And God is betting that an experience of that love, that radical love, will transform even the worst of us into children of God. Are you with me? So, Martin Luther is one of the spiritual heavyweights of church history. He was a a German monk. Think about this. A monk living in a monastery. He was for years troubled uh, by the sin in his life as anyone could possibly be. Uh, The questions that haunted him were questions like these. How can God accept someone as dirty as me? Uh, How can I find favor with God? What can I do to gain more acceptance from God, to to make God love me more. He felt like he was doing everything he could. And he still, it's like, I'm not there yet. I have to do more. I I can't get there. I have to do more. He's a monk living in a monastery and that's how he's feeling. And then these words gripped his heart. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. You familiar with those words? You are probably familiar with those words because of Martin Luther in large part. So he finally understood that he was completely dependent on God's mercy and was saved by grace through Jesus. He finally understood that there was nothing in the world he could do to make God love him more than God already did, right? Now here's why this is important. The only thing that realization did for Martin Luther was change him into a completely new man. Like Stephen had been transformed, Right? Now Martin Luther is transformed. And the only thing Martin Luther did was change the world forever. After that realization, really it was a, a conversion. 
Uh, Luther set fire to the church and ignited what we now know as the Protestant Reformation. Totally changed the world. And Luther's discovery was just a rediscovery because Paul had said it long time ago. He finally figured out and realized what Paul had realized, that salvation, it's just gift. It's all gift. You and me, we're loved by God. We're accepted by God. We're adopted as children of God. You can go home today knowing that you're loved and accepted by the creator of the universe. Can't make God love you more than God already loves you. You are a child of God. So what does that do to you? What kind of an impact does that have on your life? When you just meditate on that idea alone, what does that do to you? Back to transformation. Because of love and acceptance of God, we are transformed into what? Children of God. Now, I want us to dig a little bit deeper. We're going to get a little technical here, and that's okay. It's not really that technical. Um, But I want us to do a little bit more thinking about what it means to be a child of God or to be called a son of God. So in our four verses this morning from Paul, uh, he uses this word sons to talk about those of us who have been adopted and accepted and enfolded into the family of God. And he's using the term sons in an inclusive way. In other words, uh, daughters, you're included in that, right? But he's using this word son Uh, in a deliberate way, because he wants us to connect that idea, being a sons of God, with the son of God, right? So he's repeating that word son so that we connect it with Jesus as the son of God. So let's first think about what it means for Jesus to be called the son of God, because it actually says a lot. I think we, th- we think about that phrase, we use that phrase, the son of God, and we don't really think that much about what it actually means. So I want us to think about it this way. And this, these, this sort of train of thought comes from a guy named Brian McLaren, and I like it, so now you get to hear it, okay? So if, if I said that World War II was the mother of all wars, you'd know what I meant, Right? World War II is the mother of all wars. It's like the war of wars. It's the quintessential war. Perfectly captures the horror of war, right? If I said that Hurricane Katrina was the mother of all storms, you would know what I meant, right? I'd be saying that that it perfectly captures the essence of what any terrible storm could be. Now, the phrase son of sort of works in the same way way. But today we would use different language. We would say, we would say, spitting image, that he's a spitting image, or he's a chip off the old block. Chip, Jesus, I almost called Jesus chip. Jesus, (laughs) just said chip is the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. So he perfectly captures the essence of God. To be in the presence of Jesus is to be in the presence of of God. Paul also said in another letter to the Colossians, he said, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So that's part of what it means for Jesus to hold the title Son of God. 
That's what we all got done celebrating for the last two, three weeks. God coming into the world as a human being, one of us. Now, Paul uses that word sons repeatedly to describe us. We are sons of God, children of God. So let's connect that with the son of God. We're not sons of God in the same way that Jesus is the son of God. We're not divine, right? But what do we have living in us? We have the spirit of the son living within us. Look at verse six. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. We've been adopted into the family of God. So here's the connection we can't miss. Jesus, as the son of God, is the exact representation of God in the world. We are sons of God with the spirit of Christ living in our hearts, which means we now represent Jesus in the world. Together, we are the presence of Jesus in a lost and broken world, so loved by God. So in other words, being adopted into God's family comes with all sorts of responsibility. And that responsibility is showing the same level of love and acceptance to outsiders as God showed us when he loved and accepted us right into the family of God. That's how we represent God in the world, by showing the same level of love and acceptance to outsiders as God showed us when he loved and accepted us right into the family of God. And that is not an easy thing to do. Who are the outsiders in your life? Who are they in your neighborhood? Who are they at work? Who are they in society? Maybe there's a group of people or two groups or who are the outsiders in your life and how can you show radical love and acceptance? How can we as a people of God show that radical love and acceptance? Because we are sons of God. We represent Jesus in the world right? This isn't easy. In fact, we'd rather not even talk about it. But we'd rather, we'd rather not even think about it. Right? We'd rather think about it one-sidedly. We'd rather think about Christmas morning and not think about the death of Stephen. Right? We'd rather end with Christmas morning and say, yay, look at what we get because God came into the world. We think about verse 7. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son of God, God has also made you an heir. And so we'd rather stop right there and we'd, we'd like to think about all of the really good things that we inherit as being a son or a daughter of God, being a child of God. We think about the joy of forgiveness. We think about, uh, we think about the, the total bliss that will be when heaven and earth become one, right? And oh, we get to live with God forever, whatever that means. We think about the wonder of acceptance. We, we think about all of the great and wonderful things that we get from God. But we also, that's only one side of things. We also inherit the other side. We also inherit suffering, like Stephen. We also inherit pain and persecution, like Paul. We also inher inherit ridicule, like Jesus. We also inherit 
responsibility as children of God. Being a part of a family means that we now have responsibility. So this is exactly why the church celebrates the death of Stephen the day after a birth that changes the world forever. It serves as a foreshadow of the cross. It serves as a foreshadow of the suffering of Jesus that would come later. It serves to remind us that following Jesus comes at a cost. There's a price to it. We don't just get good gifts under a Christmas tree and that's it. No, there's a price. Following Jesus has a cost. Little baby Jesus that we love to celebrate eventually grows up. He grows up and becomes a man. And he walks in and around Galilee and Jerusalem. And he loves to say things like this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he says, follow me. Do those things. He grew up into a man who loved to say things like, if someone slaps you on one side of the face, give them your other cheek as well. He said stuff like, give to everyone who begs from you. Live, with your, live your life with this sort of open and radical hospitality and love every single day. So here's what I think the church is saying. Right? God coming into the world as a human being is a great and wonderful reality. And it shows us just how much God loves us and accepts us right into the family, right? But the next day, we go right to Stephen, who was transformed into someone who looked just like Jesus. Are we really ready to follow Jesus who demands every little inch of our lives? It's a great question to ponder, right? It's a new year. Right? January 5, is it? So we're still thinking about the new year. We're making resolutions. It's a great thing to, to ponder as we head into a new year because it's probably going to take a whole new me. And I'm guessing it's going to take a whole new you to give your entire life to God, every little inch of it. So instead of saying, Happy New Year, you. I'm just going to say, happy new you. Happy new, happy new you. Maybe, maybe this is the year that you decide, you know what? I'm going to give every little inch of my life to God. Maybe this is the year that we together collectively say, you know what? We're not just going to kind of represent God in the world. We're not just going to kind of serve in our community. We're not just going to kind of love and accept people in the city of Ames and beyond. You know what? We're just going to go all out on it. So happy new you. Happy new us. Let's live into the transformation that is becoming children of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word from you. Thank you for the love and acceptance, the radical love that you showed us. Because we all know our own hearts. We all know what's there. We all know the things that we've done. We all know the things that we've left undone. We all know the people we've hurt. We all know the times that we could have spoken up and haven't spoken up. We all know the times when we did speak up and say some pretty horrible things. We all know those things and we own those things. And yet, 
Here you are in our presence saying, you are loved, you are my child. And for us, just pondering that level of radical love and acceptance is an overwhelming thing. You adopting us into your family so that we then can reflect that radical love and acceptance to the world, it blows our mind. And so God, we ask that you would do whatever it is you need to do in us to show that radical love and that radical hospitality to people in our lives, for us as a community to show that radical love and hospitality to the people in the city of Ames. God, do whatever it is you need to do in us. Thank you for being our father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.